We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. Hello, you're listening to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio show and podcast brought to you across Australia through Community Radio Network, and we like to bring you big ideas from the small island of Tasmania. This is week, it's going to be all about technology, putting the T in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths, and proudly recorded in Tasmania, supported by Edge Radio. My name is Dr. Neve Chapman, and as this is a tech-based episode, I'm joined by my co-host, Meredith Castles, and I'd like to begin by acknowledging to the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording, the Palawa people, as we record on Lutruwita, and I also acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which you are listening. On behalf of everyone, I pay my respects to elders past and present. So today we're going to be talking about a groundbreaking study conducted in Tasmania that concluded in June 2021. And the study essentially looked to identify ways that we could sustainably over the long term encourage women to have a very clear pathway to enter a predominantly male field that is information communication technology. But the study also looked at how it can systemically encourage cultural change. And our guest, Dr. Tristan Richards, was the inspiration for this revolutionary program. So I'm really stoked to hear more about it. So Meredith, can you tell us a little bit more about our guest and also what we'll be talking about today? Yeah, cool. No problem, Neve. Um, so Tristan holds a PhD in geography and environmental science from UTAS. Uh, and since I've worked with her on this program, she's held positions such as the Tasmanian State Manager for the Australian Computer Society, which is where we met, um, and then also the Education Manager in Technology, Engineering and Build Environments at TASTAFE, uh, where she moved on to after that, which is all part of this program as well. And now she's the Cyber Awareness and Training Coordinator at the Department of Premier and Cabinet. So apart from those moves, in short, basically, she's an innovation champion, which I'm going to let her explain, um, who works towards equity in the tech sector. So thanks, Tristan, for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. So just to begin with, can you tell us a little bit about what being an innovation champion actually is? Um, well, in my mind, it, I see it as someone who helps others to transition their ideas, ideation into reality. And it's about promoting change by helping someone implement a solution or product, project, business idea, social enterprise. And for me, I, I couple champion innovation with the ability, with my sort of my own ability, as opposed to boundary span or facilitate or see linkages and patterns um, around people which enables people um, enables an uh, innovation by wrapping the individual with ex relevant expertise and a supportive network so it's very much a human factor so it's about seeing the seeing an idea and that someone has helping them connect with relevant expertise and provide the support around them to really bring that idea into reality and and another word often is used as creator um curator so like like in a museum you're creating pulling things together so it's very much that organic uh facilitating process when i say specifically ict is in everything what would you say are some of the major challenges that minority groups actually face and what do you think are the minority groups in ict uh i think um international um skilled migrants and um or unskilled migrants that are coming here that have got opportunities to study or um get get employment here they're disadvantaged because just because they have an accent they maybe don't look they're not white <laughs> um certainly uh from my experiences yeah um it's 
for international students that come to the state, they have a really tough time. And, and also, you know, yeah, that them and, you know, anybody that doesn't fit into that white geeky look. <laughs> they're, they're all, they're flawed. They've got their, they're, yeah, they've got challenges ahead of them. But, yeah. but there's lots, but at the same time, I've, um, the employers and the work, workplaces in the IT sector do want, have recognised they want to change. And, that was one thing that I learnt from the Women IT program was the, you know, they were just, um, it was overwhelming that first launch we had, um, the amount of people interested in the program from employer perspective. We had more employers <laughs> than we had students <laughs> and they were just really thrilled about the project because uh, they just saw that they, they wanted to employ people but no one was playing <laughs> none of none of no one they'd put a job out there and they'd just get the same old people same hyper person but not a diversity of, of people and so that even though they wanted to have diversity they couldn't so it came it came back to me as a supply problem at the educational level and as get, getting people engaged in education and, and then help develop a pathway from education into employment. That's awesome, Tristan. I really like the way you're thinking about the needs of the sector, um, but also the way that the sector interacts with different groups that are underrepresented at the moment. But can you tell me a little bit about why specifically you've decided to focus on the technology sector? I get that it's in almost every industry, Mm. but your interests are so aligned to that really human aspects and the project delivery aspects or empowerment aspects. So how did you settle on being like, I'm going to focus my energy in the tech sector? Yeah, well, it's all started really from science, actually. So um, I um, many years ago, I, I started my um, fishery science degree at the Maritime, Australian Maritime College. And um, that led into a lot of fisheries research in at CSIRO and state fisheries, which all around te- uh, information sy- systems and technology, particularly around fisheries databases and GIS. And at that point in time, that was where it hit me then that I really needed to get my head around understand, getting more skills in technology. And um, then that's I went back to uni um, and went to UTAS and in ICT and did um, more studies um, and ended up doing honours and PhD, um, working in the fishing industry um, with the Tasmanian rock lobster industry, uh, looking at the role of information technology along the, the industry supply chain. And from that point in time, I transitioned from being a quantitative fishery scientist to a qualitative researcher, as opposed to having that more human lens to the to the research. That research highlighted me about the importance of it was about the humans, all about the humans, and and and, and technology was just the enabler. Everything I've done ever since has been right from that core. That's fantastic. And it's great to see people who are, I think more and more now we're thinking about, well, that's great that we can come up with an innovative solution to something that could be using a piece of technology or a new discovery in a scientific lab. But it's like, how do we actually get that out in the world and get people interacting with it and using it? So it's really great to hear from somebody so passionate about how we do that in practice and in reality. So you're listening to That's What I Call Science. My name is Neve Chapman. My co-host is Meredith Castles and our expert guest is Dr. Tristan Richards. Stick with us and in just a moment, Meredith will be talking a little bit more um, about a project she's been working on with Tristan.
You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and today we're talking about a method to revolutionise the technology sector towards a more inclusive future. My name is Meredith Castles, and I'm joined by Neve Chapman, along with our expert guest, workforce developer Tristan Richards. So I just want to focus on a specific project that actually brought us together over the last two years, and it resulted in a preliminary model that provides pathways for women to enter the information, communication and technology sector, the ICT sector, called at the moment the Women in ICT (laughs) Pathways Program, working title only. But Tristan, can you tell us about the Women in um, Information, Communication, Technology Pathways Program from your perspective and how you came up with the concept? The Women in ICT Pathways Program was a two-year project uh, it was a funded, but it was a partnership between ACS, Australian Computer Society, and Tas TAFE, um, and funded by the um, Tasmanian government's Training and Workforce Pathways Program. Uh, and the project offered uh, 36 places for females looking to study and uh, develop a career in ICT sec- in the ICT sector. The program included um, a cert- ICT Cert Three course, so a very entry level um, mentoring, professional development, and work placements. The idea started from a conversation I had with Karen uh, Meredith Sotiris from Taz TAFE, um, who really observed some of the challenges they were facing. Um, she, she shared some of the challenges they were facing at Taz TAFE around attracting females into their ICT courses. It turned into an opportunity to develop, scope up a project. It was really about very much a pilot to test a, a concept. Um, we, we very quickly realised that um, there was very limited evidence base out there to re- reference from. So we're really working at a very um, low base in terms of our understanding of what models worked and what didn't work. So it was very much um, uh, yeah, experimental um, and we used action research to, to monitor and evaluate as we went and, and, and pivot and, and change as we learned. So Tristan, I think it's a really interesting program, but it does sound quite comprehensive and like it was quite organic. So yeah. when you first developed the program, did you have in mind specific core elements that you would deliver and also with this specific way that you would evaluate it or how did you embed that as you went, if not? So we, we were all pretty new in terms of how we approached it um, and that's why we <laughs> adopted Meredith <laughs> and, um, and adopted because she, we, we, so we, we, we I, I, I built it into the project plan from right from the outset that we have a, a, a research element to that so we monitor and evaluate as we went and because it was a learning exercise we were learning as we're going and we didn't have anything else to reference from because it hadn't been done before (laughs) so you know and that's why we we will start now we can be a lot more informative about what we do next because we've got that foundation and um and yeah we hadn't done and it was novel nationally um and and when um because I was at ACS, we um, it was quite um, controversial, <laughs> and um, but it was actually embraced nationally, and, and other other states and other tastes, and uh, they were all coming to me saying, "Oh, we want to learn about this. this is fantastic. We're excited about this," you know, and so it was groundbreaking at a national level, as well as local. Just touching on um, some of the key stakeholders that we we interacted with during the the study itself. So we've got obviously the industry representatives, um, the other educators, especially in TAS TAFE, um, and the students, of course, and anyone else, mentors, mentees. Can you tell us about your experiences from your side when you interacted with them? Do you think it actually had the impact that you hoped it would? I think so. Um, 
I, I mean, I'm certainly, as I said before, when we the the feedback from the industry was overwhelming. Certainly, in the when we did the launch, and that it was just, it was, it, it I didn't realise how much it was a need for this type of project from a employer's perspective. We they really wanted to shift the culture in the workplace, and they wanted to make a change, but they they didn't know how to, or or they needed. I needed a program like this to support that process, and um, so they the amount yeah the response to people wanting to volunteer their time to be mentors or offer a work placement or participate in a in a in a professional development workshop for example about how to how to create a resume or you know give advice about how to present yourself in an interview or those sort of things so they those that's that's the kind of um support we got from industry um which was wonderful and then you know from the educators point of view um you know we you know the uh <laughs> it starts from the education you know like this diversity this is because you know if you've got all the type, all educators being the bland same type of person, what do you portray to your students? So, this program actually was a catalyst for employing a female teacher in ICT at Tas TAFE to run this program. It was pretty controversial from a, 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 a education facility point of view too, because it was it was challenging, it was creating change, and it was disrupting some norms that were there and she not only provided that technical training she provided that pastoral care holistic support especially during COVID. COVID was a really tough time for many of these students who were trying to learn online like everyone else but also had kids in the background and they're trying to learn and it was just chaos you know and they didn't have access to computers at home and so we did a lot of work on the home front and also remotely support them doing work placements, you know, so and highlighted the importance of getting more diversity in education as well and, and having those role models um, and, and providing that pastoral holistic care. So Meredith, from a research perspective, is there anything you wanted to add from that about the types of findings that were observed or how this, uh, the methods that were used have informed how we can evaluate other programs? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, like I mentioned, we've got a preliminary model. Um, it's just literally um, dubbed the Pathways model. <laughs> um, it's being uh, put into a report, what well, was being put into a report and going to the Australian Women um, in STEM Ambassadors Office as well um, as part of being able to help evaluate programs that could come after us, obviously. This is a this was a new program, as Tristan said. It was a pilot program down here in Tasmania, but um, of its kind, we couldn't find any that were... Uh, quite specifically like we were doing. So the findings from this um, essentially were uh, just how, how to actually make something like this sustainable. Um, because this is using Tasmania as a unique case study, we want to keep people here as much as possible because we one of the problems we identified was that they leave the state. We lose that um, talent pool um, even after whatever level they study. So it was actually how to actually bring them back um, into the process themselves. So... To, whether they um, they study, they go out to the workforce, they come back to the program and that they become mentors for the next generation as such, lack of a better word. Um, so it was a sustainability model um, that came out. That was the major finding was that um, after speaking to the to the um, participants in the program, uh, that was including the mentors, including the, um, the workplaces and the industry representatives and the students all together, um, it seemed to be the most appropriate 
um, response to this was that they would uh, they would keep coming back and they would keep inputting to the next generation of women coming through. So that was one of the key findings. So that's very interesting from a sustainability perspective because this was a pilot program. So I suppose you've indicated, like, you've through interviews or um, other observational means been able to indicate that the participants have an appetite to be engaged on the longer term but are there other data available that you can use or uh, things that you've tapped into to determine how this could be a sustainable model or has the pilot been will it be an ongoing program like through TAFE as well or was it just the the two-year program yeah I guess um Tristan can probably speak from the the TAFE perspective but um it was a finite two-year program um for this particular um uh, the actual in, this actual individual um, study was uh, finite and capped at two years. Um, we do know that we what it has done is at least whet the appetite of uh, national bodies such as the ACS or the Australian Computer Society for more widespread diversity programs. Um, we do know that they want to apply even this preliminary model to other states in Australia. Um, but at this point in time, the the question remains of how to actually apply it because this was a specific case study for a more um, more localised um, and encased um, studies such as Tasmania, you've got the island state, it's geographically isolated. So it was, at, you know, how to actually keep um, people in the state. But that does not, doesn't mean that it won't be applicable to other states as well. So, yes, it was interviews. It was it was a purely qualitative um, because, as I said, we do have numbers such as, say, 13 people or 13 to 14 students in each intake so they were quite low numbers um, for something that would be um, able to be backed up statistically. The irony was that they are actually high numbers compared to mm. what the old the original numbers because we're watching it working it we literally had when we first started in the uh, in the ICT courses we were lucky to have one student in a female student oh, in yeah. the class. So exactly. we're to, to at the end of the two year program we had like approximately twenty odd students going through. Mm-hmm. Now you know not all of them maybe it was various degrees of um, what happened you know whether they completed or not. But it, even the ones that probably didn't complete fully would have had some benefits from this program through you know finding you know they might have ended up working in something else but it was a catalyst for some change in their life and um you know we had people who were you know had learning difficulties we had people from you know really different diversity they had a lot some serious they were entry level um really disadvantaged they weren't and that was one of the challenges we had with some of the industry employers was there was an expectation that they would be you know a lot more polished at the when they go into um you know, into a, a work placement, but these students would, the, the employers sort of expected them to be, probably have a bit more privileged background. <laughs> they looked at it from a privileged background experience, but these students really had some serious barriers they had to overcome, which our teacher was very much aware of and um, learning difficulties, access to, um, you know, transport. It was just just a lot of challenges and these are real yeah. life challenges these are things that everyone's dealing with but the players are expectations weren't necessarily lining up with what reality is and um that was probably one of the challenges we had to the expectational management of um that we had to challenge because these people were disadvantaged and um you know but some of them just lifted you know credibly you know they went from being really disadvantaged to being amazingly able to step up and and uh, and 
participate, but it was just, yeah, it was a big, big ask. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. And it's great that you were able to lead such a program in Tasmania where we do have, you know, the luxury of being an island state at times where um, we can be quite isolated and interconnected and there's a real sense of community. So it sounds like a fantastic program and really worthwhile pilot findings. Yeah. So stick with us for part three as we delve into what the future might hold for the findings from this program and this model. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and today we're talking about a method to revolutionise the technology sector towards a more inclusive future. My name is Meredith Castles. I'm joined by Neve Chapman, along with our expert guest workforce developer, Tristan Richards. We did touch on in the previous section some of the challenges that we faced, but studies like this, the Women in ICT Pathways Program, they require more widespread acceptance of the technology sector for needing a more diverse workforce. So were they some of the problems that you encountered when you tried to get this program off the ground about the acceptance? The challenge was what kind of communication recruitment campaign would be effective to Get the attention of a, a female who might be interested in studying ICT. We had 36 places, but we didn't fill it because we couldn't, we really struggled to get people to actually apply. I mean, it was a fully funded program, two-year program, which with all the support and we had we had um, a budget for supporting childcare, transport, um, you know, it was, it was, it had professional development, but none of that was an it was hard to actually get them in the door in the first place. And so and so that was one of the um, biggest issues that um, we, yeah, I've faced. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, but uh, like I said, and from, from the research perspective, when I did speak to the students, uh, you are often getting responses like one of the, well, sorry, one of the key things I asked the students was, um, you know, what, what makes ICT uh, unattractive to you? So not really looking at the, what makes it attractive, but what makes it unattractive. And it's, it is the perception. You're 100% right. It's about the perception of being a male-dominated field, being boring. Boring was a key word. Um, again, this, but again, this came from a place um, that they hadn't studied it before. They didn't know what it was, but they already had that perception that it was a boring field. So it is a mis- there's a lot of misperception out there about what ICT is. So that, and we've touched on that before. It's amazing. We've talked about minority groups. So do you think this program has any, in your opinion, unexpected benefits or follow-on programs related to any other minority groups in ICT? Yeah, as, uh, as particularly um, the international students um, and um, school migrants who that was probably a, a key minority group that the ones that had the, we could only support the ones that had the relevant visas to study through this program. But the, it was there was the challenge, the additional challenges, not only being a female, but just the additional challenges because they had an accent, or they had a, you know they they didn't look you know white Anglo-Saxon that, that prevented them from um, from um, being accepted in in our workforce community, ICT community here, and so it was that was probably the unintentional. Um, unexpected benefit. I was just thinking there was an unexpected benefit uh, or flow on um, from the program was the um, Springboard program, which came out of TAS ICT. And they, that was sort of, I saw that it was like the next evolution of the program. And it wasn't just targeted for females, but it was about using, looking at the extension of the program to give people um, 
internships or experience in in the workplace and help them to it was that 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 giving them the opportunity those and it was particularly for those people who you know in a traditional inter recruitment process or interviewing process would be just not considered um but giving them the chance to to do some work within a workplace and 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 uh, give them a chance and to prove their skills and get the opportunity and so um, that was a program that evolved out of that. So um, yeah, so it's it has been a feeder for other other programs, but um, and I'm sure they will. Emit, I'm, I know there's a lot of <laughs> cooking at the moment, and I'm I'm sure, and I know this project we're, initial program is the foundation for some of the approaches we take, you know, in the future. Well, I think something that's really important that you touched on are the um, expectation versus the reality of wanting. Mm. to engage underrepresented groups that experience real barriers to employment, um, such as transport or cultural barriers. Um, do you think that the organisations that you engaged with have had, because of that first-hand experience, like that will have a lasting impact for them on them genuinely considering what it's like to commit to promoting inclusion and diversity in the workplace and all the types of supports that are needed to do that in a meaningful way? I think it has, um, but I still think there's a long way to go in terms of saying you want it to actually re in, in dealing and in, in contrast to actually really making a difference in your cultural workplace. I mean, I... Um, I, I experience it myself every day and <laughs> I hear I'm a champion of changing things but you know there's so much more work we have to do it's easy to say you want an inclusive workplace and a workforce but to actually really put in measures to make that change is is because um, it's systemic in our in our work environment our culture um, we've still got a long way to go, but it's a start, you know. Yeah, it sounds like a really promising start and hopefully, you know, you'll have ongoing involvement with the current cohort so you can identify those uh, challenges that they experience and really become a flagship example of how something innovative can be done that does address the barriers people experience to engaging in a specific sector. I think it's great and I think we're lucky in the sector that you've got such great energy to keep the uh, momentum going with the program. Okay, you've been listening to That's What I Call Science and you, we've been talking about technology and how we promote more underrepresented groups to pursue technology and challenge the stereotypes of what it means to work in that sector. Uh, I really hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have, you can find all of our previous episodes on our website, that's science.org. And until next time, you can check us out on social media. For now, uh, that's all from me, Dr. Neve Chapman. I'd like to thank my expert guest, Dr. Tristan Richards, and our co-host, Meredith Castles, for organising today's episode. This programme was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science at all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. 
GemMaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.